Hey everyone, welcome to episode 24 of the Rosane Pistons podcast. I'm Carl. And I'm Alex Rosane. And we are taking our first look together in the new year, late into January. And on the one hand, we're in, we've climbed back into the sixth spot in the East, which is pretty exciting. Uh, but we're also in like a four-way tie with the Pacers, the Celtics, and the Heat. And if you look at some of our metrics and the way we've been playing games, I would say it's been a little bit hit or miss. Uh, some really big hits, like a, a big like a win over the Warriors, the first team to beat them full strength, and some uh, big misses as well. Uh, and I would say, looking at our trusty spreadsheet that kind of summarizes our kind of key team stats by dates, uh, since last time we spoke, what, what, the one thing that really uh, struck me, Alex, was that uh, our offense has gotten a lot better. We started out the season as with one of the worst offensive ratings in the league, uh, putting up, you know, maybe under 100 points per game. We're the 25th in the league, but we also had a top 10 defense. Uh, now we're putting up 105 points per game uh, in top 12 in the league and, and top 14 since uh, December. But uh, uh, that, that kind of nets out at kind of right where we started. So it's like our bench is getting better. Jennings is coming on. And, uh, but somehow it just looks like sometimes we get lazy that that allows us to feel more lazy on defense and, uh, we're not actually getting any further along, it seems. Yeah. Things kind of go in cycles and ups and downs. We have, uh, the tide come in on some things and go out on others. We have, uh, you know, Anthony Tolliver shooting really well. KCP is developing into a solid, uh, steady force on offense. Um, if not, you know, exactly a leader. But, you know, then, then we have, uh, I mean, furthermore, more noticeably, Jen, Jennings comes in and revitalizes the second unit. I mean, we, we don't have um, specific lineup data uh, together yet on that, but it just, he's playing at a fast pace and he, he gets things going and our, and our bench has sometimes uh, gotten us or extended a lead. Yeah, the one game that really stuck out to me early in the year, it was almost like Jennings coming back party against the magic. We had a blowout win against them. I mean, they're a competitive team. They have a similar record to us. And, uh, you know, he just really carried the bench. He was, he was just, we were flying down the court. The bench unit was really what got us ahead. And I think that they, that was one of those games where they were kind of given the nod to close out the game. And he had like 17 points, uh, and, and three for four and three, seven assists. And it just, we were looking great. And it was also really fun to see at the end of that game, the, the entire bench was just super excited for him. And during, during the interview, when uh, Jennings was getting interviewed at the end of the game, um, uh, Reggie Jackson was, you know, kind of bowing down to him, waving his uh, towel at him and stuff like that. So it was just, it's kind of feel good to see Jennings like embracing that uh, bench leadership role. And also to see him, we were talking at the end of last episode about how he had sort of been dissed by, uh, SVG coming back, and that seems to be firmly behind us. I mean, we haven't, we've barely seen Blake since then. So, yeah, I think I don't know if uh, if Stan Van Gundy was uh, trying to prime the pump to make sure Jennings didn't come back and ease into things, or if he actually was playing, you know, too slowly in practice and he was getting on him for something real. But anyway, he's come back and he's been really useful. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't know if he. Uh, is still a starter in the league, but he's. It, it's been really nice to see. And then we we would probably be doing even better on on offense than our just above league average in the past few games if we didn't have some countervailing forces that are going against us. Um, 
uh, for example, uh, Drummond has is is not playing that well recently. He's his offensive rating has declined every single month to the point where it, it's it's downright bad now. It's um, in the month of January, it, it's ninety nine, which is like uh, you know a guy who can't stay in the rotation typically. And you know you you wonder. If uh, I don't know exactly how that metric is calculated down to the last decimal, so free throw percentage has got to be a big factor there. His free throw percentage in January is under thirty percent, and we were already, you know, we started the year bummed that he's a forty-five percent free throw shooter, and then we were bummed that he was under forty percent. Now he's had a month where he's under thirty, and he actually set the NBA record for missed free throws in a game in the in a recent game against Denver. And oh, Houston. Yeah. Oh, Houston, yes. I, I was picturing the Rockets, and I said Denver. Thank you. Um, he, so uh, it, I wonder if that's just, if that's going to be, how big of a problem is that for us? It's, uh, it's a pretty big problem, but, um, but nevertheless, we've, we've managed uh, an above-league average offense for the last month. Uh, during a stretch when we went six and seven, uh, so I think that tells you what what the um, the other side of that coin is. Is our defense went from top ten uh, the year up till then to for the last month it's been below average, and uh, you know that's that's not good. But we, we can get into that a little bit later. Yeah, I wanted to say something about the that game against Houston. It was like. We were we were up by twelve at half. We were looking we were looking really dominant, and it was like the, I'm not sure if this is the first time it's ever happened, but the first time I've ever seen this, where at the beginning of the third quarter they took some guy off the bench who doesn't really play often, and he he just followed Drummond five times in a row and then left the game to get them in the bonus at the very beginning of the third quarter, and they just relentlessly followed him until we took him out, and he missed like almost every free throw, and it was like wow. Uh, and and in, in terms of his offensive rating, I, I assume that that has to be a big part. I would love to go back and like recalculate his offensive rating with, without free throws to validate that. But the bottom line is, if you miss free throws every possession, they, they were able to go on an 11-1 run, and uh, we're back in the game, and, and we put Aaron Baines in and uh, managed to eke out that win. But it's becoming a problem, and uh, it, I, I know that after that game, I saw some commentators decrying the, the state of this uh, this rule and i'm just i'm just hoping i mean of course it'd be great if drummond got better at free throws but um how how it could be actually a huge boost for the pistons if like let's say in the offseason they revisit that and say hey if, if you get if you're in the bonus and you get followed you're welcome to take it out on the sideline if you want or something like that you know yeah and we're we're biased because we're uh fans of one of the teams that has one of the most egregious hack of targets but you know it's it's not a basketball play it's it's gamesmanship around the rules and stuff but it's it's like you know nobody grows up on the playground dreaming of being the guy who the kj mcdaniel's following drummond five times in nine seconds you know it, it's it's it, the, he was the the individual player who did that oh i see that. and you know, it was it, it just makes the game really difficult to watch. It's painful. Um, it's boring. Um, you know, the the other side of that argument is always, well, hey, make your free throws. It's part of the game. Um, and I, I don't feel strongly about the rule changes, but um, and and I, I think in the analytics community, my understanding is that there's mixed 
reviews on whether the the hack strategy is actually effective um, in, in on average. You know, on the one hand, it's it's pretty obvious that if you have a forty percent free throw shooter go to the line a bunch, on average, the the team is going to get 0.8 points per possession, which is really bad. But there's countervailing ideas like it, it lets the the team rest and and play defense after being rested, and there's also a chance you get the offensive rebound on a missed free throw. Um, the argument against that for the Pistons is that Drummond is our best free, the offensive rebounder, and he airballs half his freaking free throws. So, it, you know, I, it's not looking good for us, and it, it could be, it could really sink us in a crucial playoff game when the other coach just was like, "Forget it, we're we're going to just use the most effective strategy. I don't care if it's boring to watch." Yeah, and I I, I remember being so hopeful that I was even saying that his free throw looked qualitatively better early in the season. I can't certainly can't say that at this point. Um, yeah, it's weird. He, 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 Drummond has, he'll use the same form when, when they're using that camera that goes, looks through the, the backboard glass. And so you can really see his shot from above. It looks like he's using the same form and sometimes it'll go straight in and other times it'll like roll off his thumb and miss like by the whole width of a basketball to the to the left, and so there's just something weird going on. And you know, people say, "Oh, he's shooting seventy percent in practice, and it's all psychological." You know, I I don't know. I I'm amazed we haven't gotten better actual science on this about what what's happening with free throws because it's. I mean, it's really it's worth millions of dollars to individual players and to teams to have guys improve their percentage. And they're just, I don't know to what extent people have really studied this, but it's, I mean, it, 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 it's not going far, too far to say that um, it would be worth it to a team to pay like $15 million to put, get a crack team of scientists on and actually solve this problem for one of their players. Yeah, I, actually, I, I was just looking, I was just Googling to see whether the All-Star voting was out yet to know whether Drummond officially made it or not. But uh, I came across an article where Van Gundy was saying that he actually shoots about seventy percent in the gym, and, and he's gotten a lot. He's gotten a lot better because they obviously practice it a lot. So it's who knows? Maybe it's coming, or maybe it's just one of those things where he just I don't know. Um, yeah, but speaking of All Star, uh, one another little interesting tidbit about Drummond is uh, as we call our patron saint of the Brosane Pistons podcast, Zach Lowe, who was at Grantland now at ESPN after that uh, they shut it down. Um, he had an article about his all-star picks. He had picked Drummond. And one thing he said that was interesting to me was talking about him. Like he would said he would give Drummond 60% of the credit for the Dudley Jackson Drummond pick and roll combo and pointed out that he looked into the, to the kind of lineups. And um, when ja- the, there, there's not that much time where they don't play with each other, but when, when the minutes that Jackson played without Drummond, he, he fared way worse, but not the other way around. So I think uh, Jackson needs Drummond more than the other way around. Yeah, I that I mean, and that kind of makes sense actually. Um, if you have a deadly target to throw to near the rim, where if you leave Drummond's body for a couple of seconds, he can get a step going towards the rim and jump, and you just throw it kind of anywhere near there. I actually feel like our team kind of needs better passers to take advantage of that more. I I feel like just you know from my standpoint, sitting on my ass on the couch, I can see moments when he's open for that where they're not hitting him on it and i don't know if it's realistic to think he could be hit more but i i feel like neither jennings nor jackson have you know above average vision for a point guard in the nba 
um, you know, which is already among the top, you know, 0.1% of human beings on this front. But in the NBA, I, I, I just feel like, uh, you know, Blake seems to hit Drummond more on the pick and roll. I remember um, uh, Bynumite, Will Bynum, uh, would, you know, for all his weaknesses, including taking way too many 16-foot contested jumpers, seemed to do a good job of hitting Drummond on the pick and roll. Um, so I, I, I bet that's a skill that Jackson can develop over the next year or two, but just by watching film and seeing the opportunities that are there. Yeah, I, I would like to see more dunks, but it also it also seems like Jackson's so good at hitting like hard, to, seemingly hard to shoot floaters that maybe that's as much of the benefit as the dunks you might see is that he just is able to get a floater out that he wouldn't without Drummond. No, you're right. Uh, Jackson's shots near the basket. My gut needs to adjust its its expectation on those because I most of the shots he takes near the basket, I think like, oh god, that's a tough shot, and he just makes so many of them. It's amazing. He Jackson is really good. Um, although, so our last uh, podcast heavily featured Jackson doing way better, um, and he's come back down to earth a little bit in the month of January. His his um, minutes are down a bit. His scoring's down to just under 16 points per game for the month. Uh, his offensive rating is a very respectable, but not quite all-star level, 109. His usage rating's a little lower. He was using, like, Carmelo, Anthony, LeBron James levels of, you know, how many of our shots does he take. Uh, that's down to 26, which is still really good in, in terms of uh, a guy leading our offense and creating a lot of the shots. I wonder if some of that is just Jennings is back and so he's playing a little less. Um, but yeah, and plus there's just kind of ups and downs. But he he still looks to me like he's our guy and just needs to be a little more consistent. Yeah, it was too bad that he, he had two shots, at, two cracks at uh, winning the game the internet against Denver, and he uh, he missed he, he missed the first chance and, and thought he got fouled, probably didn't. They had a fast break and uh, KCP had an amazing block shot against Moutier. Uh, to, to give Jackson another sh- chance at it, and he also missed the layup and was pissed about a calling, but he didn't deserve. I don't think. Yeah, that that block was was awesome. It, it was, you know, of course, shades of the famous Tayshawn Prince block against Reggie Miller in the playoffs uh, years ago. But um, you know, n- nice to see him make that play and uh, embellish his uh, defensive reputation even more. And, uh, yeah, and Jackson's been in the press a little lately saying he's tired of not getting the calls from the refs. Um, of those two shots at the end of the game, I, I didn't have an opinion on the, whether the first one was a foul. But the second, the last shot, I, it definitely was not a foul, in my opinion. I think I, I, I hope he's not getting a complex about, uh, you know, wanting to get bailed out by the refs. He's, uh, you know, he's pretty good at getting to the rim. We noted when we first got him that – his numbers in Oklahoma City included a lot of um, being amazing at getting to the rim and, and finishing at the rim, but not a lot of free throws. So he, maybe he's, we speculated, maybe he's just really good at, you know, using his body to shield and shooting floaters and getting shots off where he's, it's not as contested. And he just doesn't seem to draw a lot of contact. And that's, that's okay. If he's, if he's making all his shots, you know, that's fine. A couple more interesting pieces of that game the other night because it's fresh in my mind. Um, you noted that actually um, Drummond was taken out by as Sam Van Gundy at some point, and like, he, it wasn't because he was in foul trouble or there was a hack of Drummond going on, but he didn't finish that game. 
No, it it was it was really bad. I mean, with uh, something like four minutes left, there was a stretch where Denver got a couple of easy shots at the basket, including one where uh, Gallinari got by, uh, I, th- I believe Marcus Morris, and and Drummond was kind of there beside him at the rim and and jumped, but just did not contest the shot very well. And I think maybe he wasn't in the right position or didn't prepare himself to jump and get his hand above the rim. But uh, Van Gundy looked really livid on the sideline and went back and was yelling something at his assistant coaches. And then this was like maybe two minutes and 45 seconds left in the game or something. He took Drummond out and played Baines the rest of the game. And the announcers didn't say anything about about the defensive effort but being the reason. But... You know, I, it was pretty clear to me that it just, you know, Van Gundy was pissed at the defensive effort, and that's that's been a theme in recent games actually, where he's he's said after games, you know, our our our, um, our effort was deplorable. Um, you know, you you've been playing uh, basketball since you were eight. How about trying as hard as you can all the time? Um, stuff like that. He he's really starting to uh, get close to blowing a gasket here on. Uh, um, but that that really does match what you said at the beginning about how our offense has improved, but our defense has slipped to league average. You know, turns out that that uh, intense effort is really important for having a good defense. And, and when you take into account that we're still really great on the boards, which is part of being good on defense, uh, it, it, it all the more kind of points to uh, being a little bit lazy here and there. We've been turning the ball over more, which leads to fast break points where. You know all this kind of stuff, but I have seen a couple, made a couple times a game where you kind of feel like Drummond could do have done a little bit better a job, but it's not. It's not like it, he seems like so. Like it's not like he's a turnstile or something. It just said, given how athletic he is, you would think he could be a better rim protector. Yeah, and I don't. I just don't know what it takes there. It, it, people talk about rim protecting instincts. Um, you know, just guys seem to be good at timing, timing it. Uh, you know, Hassan Whiteside for Miami seems to just be able to block shot after shot. But the other big part of rim protection is um, the standing in the right position. And the, that big term that people kept saying over the past couple of years of verticality, where you keep your arms straight up, you jump straight up. And so if a guy jumps into you, you don't get called for a foul and you disrupt, um, disrupt their shot significantly, even if you don't block it. Um, I think verticality must be like a refereeing term or something. And Roy Hibbert, back before he was terrible uh, when he was playing for Indiana, was really good at that. Um, And Drummond really seems to be very bad at that. Um, And, you know, he's still young. He's not even close to what we would expect him in his prime. He's he's probably the age of a typical, like, played a couple years in college rookie. Um, so he has he can still learn that, but he's th- that seems to be his biggest weakness on defense right now. Yeah, he, and and the thing is, it's it's just easier to get um, a little bit complacent. I mean, not complacent, but I mean, I still try to remind myself that we're doing better than I think we both expected this season. It's just that we're once you start to play a little bit better, then you can start to taste. Like right now, I feel like we're solidly um, in the mix for the sixth, seventh, eighth spot. It would be such a big difference to get the sixth or, uh, instead of the eighth. Uh, if we could avoid Toronto and the Cavs, it would be a big difference. Um, and that's a great place to be in. It's just so hard because I feel like these games, like if we'd win a couple more, we could be. We actually could be like in the in the fourth or fifth spot. It seems like, but uh, we're we're not quite there yet. We're still inconsistent, and it's, uh, I'm just trying to remind myself not to be, not to pull a Cavs and uh, fire their coach when they're leading the <laughs> conference. 
<laughs> yeah, boy, the the coaches lobby. Uh, the Stan Van Gundy, Rick Carlisle, and uh, Jeff Van Gundy during a recent broadcast are all really mad that the Cavs fired David Blatt, um, even though they're you know were, went to the finals last year and have a great record this year. But uh, I don't. Did you have a chance to read that ESPN article by Brian Windhorst and one other author? Just kind of the inside story of of the the team quitting on Blatt. No, I didn't. Um, yeah, it, 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 we don't need to go through it here, but it, it sounded like just from the beginning, LeBron really humiliated Blatt several times publicly uh, by just, you know saying to the press after, yeah, Blatt drew up a play, but I scrapped it and I ran a different play. Or um, they had a players-only meeting where they assigned everybody's roles uh, to all the different players, and like that's what the coaches are supposed to do. I mean, I don't know. I'm not on a. I haven't been on a basketball team since high school. So I don't know how those dynamics are supposed to work, but um, really, but boy, it, it sounded pretty bad. It it sounded like um, Blatt had no chance, really. He just he, somehow he didn't have the respect of everybody, and he came in expecting to be respected because he's probably won seventy seven hundred games in his international career, as he said. It'd be sort of like Mike Shashevsky coming in uh, from Duke to the NBA, and then players being like, "Who are you, rookie coach? You know, welcome to the NBA." Um, so I, maybe that was never going to work. Um, but yeah, hey, maybe if we meet the Cavs in the playoffs, they'll be in disarray, and and uh, or, or who knows, maybe we'll have Kevin Love on our team if you listen to Zach Lowe's wild trade speculation, right? Oh uh, yeah, I, I was excited uh, to hear that. Um, there was just to have it be. They were thinking about if the Cavs don't quite have what they need to be competitive against either the Spurs or the Warriors. That um, you know, Kevin Love. You have a max contract on him. He's good, but they're not. He's like if if you're using that much money on your third best offensive threat, what if you split that into two wing players instead? And the the the, the one trade that Zach Lowe brought up was what was it? Kevin Love for uh, Ilyasova. You throw in Tolliver and you throw in KCP and a first round pick. Um, that's a tall offer. I mean, KCP is. I, I feel like he's part of our future, but. I, I think I would do it. I don't know. I mean, it would be hard to say goodbye, but I mean, certainly upgrading Ilyasova to Kevin Love would be um, about as good as combo you can get for the SVG style offense uh, stretch for amazing center kind of thing. Yeah, I, I I couldn't help but bring it up just because it's so tantalizing, but it's probably not worth dwelling on too much um, more. Um, but it, it does seem like something like that would help the Cavs. They have they have three players as skilled enough on offense to be alpha dogs, and there just aren't enough possessions to go around uh, to to really take advantage of that. And, you know, getting someone like KCP, who has had some success defending Steph Curry to the extent anyone has success with that, that might really help them. But uh, I think, um, and, and then from our standpoint, yeah, I mean, we, we've talked in the past couple of podcasts about um, how we really need somebody else to not just be able to stand out there and hit open shots, but to absorb some possessions, like create shots. And that's when it really matters which Kevin Love you're getting. The one who played in Minnesota when in his early 20s, I mean, he was just, he, he had stretches in between injuries where he was dominant. He had several games where he had put up 40 points and 20 rebounds and stuff like that. And it was, you know, they ran their whole offense through him and he was just unstoppable both in the post and hitting threes. 
And he, just like it seems like he, his balls got cut off, frankly, when he got to Cleveland. He's just standing around, loaf, waiting until LeBron or Kyrie are nice enough to pass him the ball, and then he shoots a three. Turns out he's skilled enough that he can be a useful player doing that. But, um, boy, I, I really I would be super excited to see what he could do paired as a as a second number one option in our offense. Like, he could be, like, the Kyrie in our offense. Is, is, he, is he young enough that there's no – they wouldn't be pulling, like, a Chauncey for Iverson trade or something like that? I think so. He's 27. Um, so he – and he signed for, like, four more years or something. So it's really would be his full, you know, at the end of his peak um, – and yeah, so he wouldn't be getting kind of old and in the decline anytime soon. And and um, one of the uh, skills that really ages well is outside shooting. I mean, he's you know you don't really need athleticism to do to hit open threes. So uh, I think it would, I think it would be all right. But you know who knows? Maybe there are reasons why that's that's no good. But the as we keep mentioning, the what really put um, Orlando over the top in the Van Gundy days was to have. Richard Lewis, who could a uh, power forward who could hit threes, come there. Yeah, so I said it's probably not worth talking about, and then I just couldn't help myself and just talked about it. For- yeah, uh, yeah, and I mean Eliasova can can hit threes uh, pretty well, but yeah, one thing I've noticed actually in games lately is that Eliasova's release is so slow that unless he's completely wide open, oftentimes he can't really get it off. Like he'll be bringing it up; it's almost like it's like the the opposite of Steph Curry's release. And and then people get over to him. He has this move I see him use a lot, where he pump fakes, jabs in, and kind of steps back out. And when he when he uses that move, he doesn't seem to make it enough to really make it worthwhile. So he's yeah. I remember hearing hearing somewhere that the, there's a little frustration on the Pistons with Ilyasova for um, passing up open shots. Um, like maybe he could get more of the shots off and do a little bit less of his pump faking and take a couple of urgent dribbles to nowhere where he has no idea what he wants to do. Um, and yeah, his shot, it, it looks like people almost like loading up a medieval trebuchet or something like that. <laughs> like a whole team of people yeah. are stretching the ropes and, you know, but, he, and he mainly, I think that is he's, he, his shooting percentage has fallen off a little bit. And, um, if he, you know, if, if he hits a little more, a few more of them, then, you know, everything will all be forgiven. Speaking of a, a four, a stretch four. Uh, I was decrying Tolliver for breaking so many open threes. He's been really good the last couple of months, uh, like in terms of our bench unit and just being like a guy who you cannot leave open for threes. Yeah, it, it, it's 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 weird because he's scoring six points per game. Okay, so it's not like he's you know really unlocking the whole thing and having us go on a rampage, but he's just playing super efficiently, he's shooting. You know, the last couple of months, 41 and 37% from three. That's really good. That's the, you know, no one else on our team is shooting that well. And so since he never turns the ball over and he basically just only shoots open threes at a decent percentage, his his offensive rating is really good. Uh, you know, over 120. That's a, that's a great role player um, line right there. It, it's just, um, you know, he can't create anything at all for himself and, so, you know, it's good to have him out there. He tries really hard on defense, and he's one of our better defenders, I think, when he's on the floor. So, um, you know, he, he's worked out really well. I'm very glad to have him on the team. Yeah, actually, and he, he does – he so rarely does something besides shoot threes that this this uh, image just flashed in my mind against the Warriors where they had a breakdown, and he ended up with, like, a driving to the, along the baseline and having a monster dunk. And, and Luke Walton immediately calls timeout. He's like, guys, like Tolliver just <laughs> had a monster dunk against us. Yeah. 
everything was going right for the Pistons that night. Uh, <laughs> and how about KCP? I mean, he's playing really well on offense, not super high usage. Uh, but I just feel like he just seems like such a solid part of our team now. And, like, uh, just such – always playing hard on, on defense, uh, just making differences. Like, it, it's sort of – some of it is tangible. He's getting more steals and things like that. But he's starting to feel like one of those kind of effort in, like, less tangible on stats kind of guy. Like, a little bit on the Ben Wallace side where, like, his stats aren't going to look as good as what really he does for our team. I, I think that's a that's a good assessment. I mean, he, he's – um uh in, in a high effort guy, and so when effort is low, like Van Gundy's been complaining about lately, um, our team doesn't do as well. But um, yeah, he's been pl- shooting efficiently. He he just feels like one of those guys who's going to be. Um, he's always going to be on winning teams, but he'll never make an All Star team except for like that one year, like the Hawks last year, where the team is is going to win over sixty games, and so. People, the coaches just decide this team needs to have three or four all stars, and you know it's, it's like that year the 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 Pistons had uh, under Flip Saunders in the '60s, and you know Rip Hamilton and Tayshawn Prince were uh, were all stars. That that's going to be what it's going to take for KCP to make an all star game. I feel like at age 22, showing flashes, getting attention around the league for his defense. Uh, hitting enough threes that uh, he, it's 32 percent on the season right now. That's that's still not good enough, but um, he, he, I, I feel like he can improve that, and I, I have high hopes of him being a real solid piece for us. Another guy who's been showing like a solid improvement or just looks good is um, Stanley Johnson. It's one of those things where like he plays with so much confidence that he just looks like such a like, he looks like he belongs out there, like we keep on saying. But he's been trusted to be in key situations. Like, he'll take and make important shots. Uh, and then the stats don't quite, still don't quite add up. Like, he's not an efficient player yet. Yeah. Yeah, he's super inefficient uh, overall. But he just looks he looks like a good player. He's taking shots that you expect to go in. And I guess, you know, the numbers say they're not going in at a high enough rate. Um, um, you know, he... So if if you have a game today that you need to make sure you win, you might not play him very much, um, or you might ask him to just you know never shoot it on offense or something. But I'm very happy that we're having him go out there and try stuff, um, run around, you know, try to develop the skill to get get to his spots and take good shots. He he's looking pretty good to me. I I, I feel like he's a long term starter. He's so young um, and. He has flashes. I think it was the the Memphis game a, a week or two ago, um, where it was a real close game that we ended up losing at the end. But he hit a couple of really big threes, um, and he's not afraid to rise up and take a corner three. And he's making a good good amount of them. Um, so so far so good. And he's playing some shooting guard too, because uh, you know Jody Meeks is still hurt, and I just didn't expect him at him at like 230, 240 pounds to be able to play shooting guard. And he's doing it well enough that he's still getting minutes. So, hey. I kind of wonder about our lineup. I I noticed that recently uh, Hilliard has been getting a few minutes and actually allowing us to have a full bench lineup. Before it seemed like we would always be mixing in and keeping like Marcus Morris playing some extended minutes to keep that lineup afloat. But now that we have Jennings back, uh, and once Meeks comes back, that would be pretty interesting to, to take some of the load off of KCP and Marcus Morris, who'd play a lot of minutes. I think that that really will be one of the benefits, especially 
when he gets it going. And, and, and that's why I have high hopes that down the home stretch of the, of the season, um, you know, here we are kind of tied in the fourth, fifth, sixth spot. Um, that's a good, good spot to get one of our key bench guys back and uh, make a little run at the end. Maybe, you know, maybe we could clinch the, the fifth or fourth spot. Um, you know, there's some good teams out there. Boston is very good, and you never, you never know who's going to make a trade. Yeah, right now I would I would feel cautiously like I would feel like hey this would be fun like let's play the Bulls in the first round we might be able to take it we might be able to win I, I wouldn't bet on it but I would feel like excited about it the Raptors are playing really well lately uh, and and Cleveland oh, yeah. I wouldn't feel hopeful against either but um, obviously right. again here we are ratcheting up our expectations and talking about trades we might make and to, to become contenders and stuff but uh, I mean it's I'm just kind of crossing my fingers and if we can keep progressing. With and and get Meeks back and kind of fight off, you know. Right now we're ahead of, uh, you know, we're right in the mix with the Pacers, the Celtics, the Heat, really good teams, uh, and, and we have to stay ahead of them and, and uh, kind of stave off the Washington Wizards and the Knicks, who could make a make a run for it if, if they had it got hot in the second half of the season. With the Bulls, we're really relying on the fact that they're they've been a little bit dysfunctional. They have way too many big men, and um, you know they they have a new coach and. You know, Joakim Noah is hurt. Um, if they get it together uh, and go on a run, that that would be trouble for us. And then the Celtics and the Heat both really seem like teams that could make a trade and get significantly better. They have they have trade assets, um, or at least the Celtics have a lot of trade assets in terms of draft picks. They could trade and, and talented players who don't get enough minutes now. They could they could make a big upgrade. And, um, you know, the Heat, you know, you never count out Pat Riley. You just never know wh- what they're going to do. So the, se- the season's not even close to over. Um, but I'm glad we're in the position we are. Um, the- are, you, are you worried about uh, – well, we forgot to talk about SVG. Are you at all worried that SVG's intensity and, and decrying of our effort all the time is going to start wearing on the Pistons? Or do you think over – I don't know. Like, I, I, There's been a couple of whips in the press about players talking about stuff. I don't know. I'm, yeah, I'm glad you reminded me of that. I am a little worried about it. You know, one of the narratives that crops up every every year, every couple of years in the NBA is a, a really intense coach who, um, what, what do they say, players start tuning them out um, if they are really on them all the time about uh, effort and, and things like that. And there have been, even with Van Gundy over the years, there have been things like that. Um, uh, I think Shaq, during, during the year, when uh, Van Gundy got fired and Pat Riley took over and they won the title uh, in, in, for the Miami Heat, they he he called uh, Van Gundy the master of panic, and uh, and in a recent uh, interview, Reggie Jackson, uh, I think it was the the Vertical, the Yahoo Sports podcast with Adrian Wojnarowski. Reggie Jackson said that Van Gundy's insane, and he said it kind of affectionately, and he also said something really interesting. He said. Uh, I thought I was trying really hard in my time in Oklahoma City, and then I came here and I'm being held to a higher standard. And uh, you know, I'm, I'm learning kind of what it is to actually try hard all the time, and I'm still learning that kind of thing. So, okay, you know, that sounds that could either be inspiring or um, really <laughs> dispiriting, depending on how your outlook or your mood that day to just have somebody always on you. But the last the last few games, he's had some real doozies of post-game press conferences um and 
I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll see. I guess that just depends on the character of the players, too. It's a really young team, and maybe that means that they'll listen to the coach, or maybe that means that they'll don't have the maturity to, to, to listen to him. Uh, I guess we'll find out. And it seems like whenever we lose, it's, it's entertaining to watch, but like, it's very dramatic. You know, like when we lose no effort whatsoever tonight, I can't, I can't think of a single thing. Well, maybe Aaron Baines played well, but other than that, like, you know, he has a couple of favorites with like Aaron Baines or, or he'll call out like uh, Steve Blake's like great effort when he, uh, the one game he played for five minutes and played pretty well or something like that. But I, I, he, he he certainly seems to, be stingy with the praise, uh, but I, I don't know. I, I'm not going to. I'm not going to read too much into it. The other thing was like Brandon Jennings said something about there being, you know, a need for a leader in the locker room or something. But you know, it's our backup point guard saying something after a disappointing loss. I, I'm not going to worry too much yet about it. Yeah, although that brings me to the the only other uh, bigger trend that I is a little worrying for the rest of the season is uh, Reggie Jackson is is a seems to be a confidence fueled player. He seems to have this weird personality where he either is on top of the world or is absolutely crushed and can't summon the confidence to, you know, not be completely miserable. And, you know, in Oklahoma City, when he had a, good, a role, you know, um, Russell Westbrook was out. He, he had some clutch plays and was just on top of the world and felt like he should have his own team to run. And he couldn't, you know, couldn't stay there because he needed his own team to run. And you know, cried with with joy when uh, Van Gundy said, you're my guy and brought here. And then lately, um, you know, Jennings is back and he was really happy for Jennings that that one game where he was playing really well. But then there was another game just a couple of games ago. I can't remember which game. It was the one before Denver, maybe, where Jennings actually was in to finish the game. And um, there were reports that, that Jackson really was not happy about that. And between Van Gundy really being on him and then Jennings getting some attention and uh, Jackson having that history of of really needing to be up on a pedestal as the guy. Um, maybe I'm reading too much into this and they'll just, they're professionals and they'll be fine. But it might be the impetus behind if we try to try to trade uh, Jennings. Uh, we have 10 games left until the, the uh, trade deadline happens and Jennings could really help another playoff contender. Um, if so, if somebody wants to give us something back for him, that might be a reason to do it, especially because his contract's up at the end of this year, and he doesn't seem like a long-term fit with us unless he just tells Van Gundy, like, "I'm happy to be Jackson's backup point guard for four more years." That's what I think what it would take for him to stay. So, just the you know Reggie Jackson really being on top of the world, or you know, his kind of bipolar confidence, um, is something where I, I'm just going to be keeping an eye on that. I wonder, yeah, I, I do. Although without Jennings, I mean, not having Jennings sucks. I mean, having Blake be our main that backup is is tough. So I, I, it, I would I would do that if we actually got something long term in, in return. But that would hurt this season. Um, yeah, for sure. All right. Well, why don't we call it a wrap? Uh, yeah. We get we've. Uh, I don't know. Things are things are again looking pretty good given our expectations, but. We look like we could be better, so it's still a little bit frustrating sometimes. Uh, coming off the Golden State win and then losing a couple of tough losses against worse teams on the road, and this road trip has been tough to see. So anyway, we'll check back in, uh, who knows, in a couple in a couple weeks or a month and see how we're doing.
hopefully we'll, we'll be talking about how our, we fused our improved offense with a resurgence of effort on defense, and that's why we're third in the East now. <laughs> that, that's what I hope we're saying next time. Yeah, that sounds good. All right, until next time.